Today, I want to start off by, by talking about the devil. Uh, I know, unless you, unless you own a tattoo studio or something, that's not really a good conversation starter. Right? That's not really an image you want to start a conversation with. So, why on earth would I want to do that? Why would I want to start by talking about the devil? Well, it's uh, St. John's fault. <laughs> we are today on the second Sunday of a series looking at the first letter of John. And uh, in the middle of chapter 3, which is the end of the part of, of John that we're actually working with today, but in the, in the middle of chapter, three, of, of chapter 3, John writes this. Dear children, do not anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right, right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sisters. So my first reaction when I read this is to go, whoa, John, take it easy, man. You know, chill a bit. Children of the devil? That's, that's coming on a bit, a bit too strong. And also, no one who is born will con- of God will continue to sin? What are you talking about? Didn't you, John, just write in the beginning of this same letter Right, chapter 1, that you just write that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us? You just wrote it. <laughs> so what kind of rhetorical guilt trap is this? What is this all about now? This is one of those texts that are often either misused or ignored. That's usually the way you go about it. Either misused or ignored. But I was intrigued. I was intrigued. Why does John use this specific language here? Because elsewhere in his letter, he speaks about walking in the light or walking in the darkness, which is one of his favorite images, right? But here he chooses to speak about children of God and children of the devil. Why? And as I spent more time with this part of John's letter, I, I realized that his choice of words here are not some kind of random outburst of religious zeal, but they are actually quite precise. That once again, John's poetical language cuts into the soul and the heart. But to explain what I mean by that, I need to talk a bit more about the devil. Taking John's illusion that the devil has been sinning from the beginning and considering how John 
elsewhere in Revelation refers to Satan as the great serpent. I want to go back to the imagery of the Garden of Eden. Now, in the poetical, in the poetical landscape of the creation narrative, the name devil or Satan doesn't show up, right? But the role, the role is played. And I'm not going to launch into an essay here about the uses and understanding of the words devil and Satan and all of that stuff, but it's worth calling our attention to the meaning of the word Satan, Satan, which means the accuser. The accuser. So in the garden of creation, the accuser shows up as a serpent. A serpent that accuses God of lying. Accuses God of withholding knowledge from humankind and of withholding knowledge out of some kind of divine pride and self-centeredness. A serpent that accuses God of acting on something other than the love and goodness imbued in their creating power. And a serpent that not only accuses, but plants the seeds of accusation and distrust. Right? Enticing humankind to believe that they could make themselves to be the frame of reference for defining good and evil. And not their collective selves either, their individual selves. If you eat this fruit, you will be able to tell good from evil. Now, the immediate outcome of this, of this movement of eating the fruit, trying to fully ingest and fit into oneself the knowledge of good and evil. The, the immediate outcome of this is the tearing of the relational fabric of creation. It's not lightning striking. It's not even Adam dropping dead. It's the tearing of the relational fabric of creation. When God walks in the garden that late afternoon, Adam and Eve hide. Hiding is a new thing. They hide. They are now afraid of God, and they mistrust her goodness towards them. And when they are asked about their newfound perception of nakedness, of exposure and frailty, Adam and Eve do what? They start throwing accusations at each other, at the world around, and at God. It was the serpent. It was the serpent. It was the woman that you put here, God. It was her. The seeds of the accuser are sprouting in their own lips, in their own actions, and in their affections. And on the footsteps of the work of the devil, of the accuser, 
they turn away from the goodness of the God with them in the garden of creation and turn rather towards themselves and the self-steered knowledge that expels them from intimate relationship with each other and with the divine love. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. We're back in John's letter to the churches here, and he is issuing a warning. Do not love the world or anything in the world. But what is John talking about? Doesn't the gospel, according to John, say that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? Translation is a difficult thing. Translation is a difficult thing. And translating the Bible, which is translating it ancient texts that have millennia of tradition and interpretation is a very difficult thing. And this is a place where I think that our English translation is not the most helpful. Because when John speaks of world here. He doesn't necessarily mean the, the physical world or anything like that. He is speaking of the world of the fall, if we may, about life lived in rebellion and opposition to God, life where we and only we are our own frame of reference for understanding the world and defining good and evil. Verse 16 helps us understand what John is aiming at, right? He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And verse 17 then builds further on that, right? The world and its desires pass away. My problem is that the English, with the English translation is that desires is, is a misleading word. It's because it has both positive and negative dimensions, right? Desire is not necessarily a bad thing in itself. And lust, which is the other word that he uses, has become so associated with sex that we may end up thinking that that's what John's talking about, and that's all. But John is talking about something deeper. The word in the Portuguese translation, cobiça, is, is a better word, I think, and it implies a greedy kind of desire, right? A greedy kind of desire. I also really like how the Norwegian translation sort of drives the point home, right? What John is talking about is something more widespread and more profound. It is the life lived on the serpent's lie. 
life turned away from the goodness of the God with us, turned rather towards ourself and again the self-steered knowledge that expels us from intimate fellowship with each other and with the divine love. Except for John, for John it is no longer the garden. It is no longer the garden that best expresses the love and possibility of intimacy with God. It is no longer the garden that best expresses the restored fabric of relationships in his presence and goodness. For John, that place of grace and flourishing of life connected to the eternal is the place of faith in Christ, the Son, Emmanuel, God with us. So when John sees that there are some among the fold of the community of faith who are denying that Jesus Christ is God with us. And this is the context of the letter of John. We talked a little bit about this last week. That you had influences of people from within who were splitting up Jesus and saying him to be something other than God or something other than human but not God with us. And when John sees that there are those who are inviting people into a a sort of a disembodied knowledge that rather than nurture the community, ruptures it and sets people on a path of self-salvation, when John sees that, he he burns with pastoral zeal and he warns, this is the way of the serpent not of the risen Christ. This is the work of Satan, the work of the devil, as the story goes. These are the footsteps of division, pride, greed. These are not the words of love. The words of love are the words that call us children of God in Christ and invite us to live in the world in a way that loves the world with a sacrificial presence that restores relationships and rebuilds trust and generosity. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. John is earnestly asking that we love and that we remain in love. A love that doesn't reject the self because we know ourselves lavished with love that we are called children of God, but a love that rejects greed and selfish desire. A love that insists on restoring the fullness of the relational fabric weaved on the love of the very Trinity. 
And because of that, a love that seeks righteousness and purity, the purity of the God with us. Can we truly love if we don't reject greed and self-centeredness? Can we truly love if we claim that all that is good for ourselves or if we claim everything that is good for ourselves and if we declare that our judgment is the last word? We sang just before Luther's, one of his most known songs, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he speaks about the devils. And we don't live in a world where we visualize and think about the devil too much, do we? I mean, I don't, honestly. It's not, not something that crosses my mind on a daily basis. I don't have the same kind of imagery in my head. Perhaps I'm not that afraid of that. But I am afraid of greed. I am afraid of this, of what this does to us. This breaking up of the relationships. This notion that somehow we can be an end of ourselves and that can justify whatever. I'm afraid of how that inability to love sacrificially beyond ourselves leads us into war, leads us into violence, leads us into inequality of proportions that can only be described as devilish. I'm afraid of what this anchoring of good and evil in myself does to my own heart and my ability to love those who are different, those who I don't like initially or those who challenge me, who scare me. Those devils are in our houses, in our souls, in our media, in our wars, in our economic system. Can we truly love if we don't reject that lie? Can we truly love if we claim that all that is good is ours and declare our judgment as the last word? John says, and I agree with him, that we can neither love nor can be called children of God. And the choice for ourselves in spite of God and the other, that is the devil's choice, the choice of the accuser, the choice of mistrust. There is another choice. There's another choice. Look what great love 
the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. What does it mean to be freed to love? Because God comes and is with us. That's why John cannot stand that division of Christ. Because it is the restoration, the redemption that happens from within. And it's not in the Garden of Eden, it's not in the future, it's happening now from within. What does that say to how we love and live as children of God? What do we love? How do we love? (laughs) And what are we scared of? But see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May you know just how gracious he is to you. May he turn his face towards each and every one of you, that you may know that you are seen, that you may know that you are loved, and so may he bring you peace. So go in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ and serve the Lord and serve the world joyfully.